your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 13. And when you find Matthew 13, I'd ask that you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter number 13, and, and uh, just um, praying about what to, um, what to preach tonight. And uh, I had started, did a couple of the parables here in Matthew 13, so, um, and, uh, and felt that this is where we... Uh, that I would preach from and work on this uh, work on this message, and really it does dovetail uh, quite nicely with what Pastor preached two Wednesdays two Wednesdays ago, I believe it was. If you'll remember uh, that message and what he the text that he preached from, I'm not going to call anybody out. Like how many people remember what Pastor preached a couple weeks ago? I mean, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but. He, he talked about it, if my people should humble themselves. And, and uh, that thought really goes well with what we're going to be looking at here tonight. And hopefully by God's grace we can communicate that thought tonight uh, in relationship to it. So I wanted you to look in Matthew chapter number 13 and uh, verse number um, 31. And in verse number 31 says... Another parable put he forth unto them. So that's Jesus teaching another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it grows, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. All right, we're going to look at this simple parable tonight. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be seated when we get done praying. Lord, I just uh, pray that you'll help in tonight's message and help to convey the thought I believe that you would want us to see tonight, God. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you'll help to communicate that truth today. And Lord, in, in spite of my shortcomings and being able to say and communicate what your word is. I pray your Holy Spirit will, will clearly speak to us and convey your truth and apply it to our lives tonight. So God, please do a work in our, in our lives. Please use your word tonight. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> well, uh, if you know anything uh, about... U.S. history. I hope you do know something about uh, U.S. history, and uh, we won't. We'll we'll make it. We'll make it easy on you. We won't ask anything too too in, in depth because you know that are you smarter than a third grader thing or a fifth grader? I'm like I might might fail that game, and uh, so we won't go too complicated. But probably I'm guessing most of us have heard of the. Uh, Folk hero Davy Crockett before. I'm sure we probably heard him, and uh, so I get to use I get to use this in a message tonight. And it really wasn't a part of it, but I I get to use one dad joke with Davy Davy Crockett. So my kids have heard this before, so you don't get to answer. But how many ears did Davy Crockett have? How many ears did Davy Crockett have? He had three ears. He had a left ear a right ear, and a wild front ear. Wild front ear, all right. I know, I know. If you're, yeah, I know, if you're around me, you're probably going to be exposed to things that you wish you were never exposed to, all right? And uh, that was probably one of those things you wish you weren't exposed to. But if you heard of Davy Crockett then, uh, and especially uh, as as being a, a boy, that I, I love the stories about uh, Davy Crockett and, and just what he was and a frontiersman and really probably one of the pinnacle things that he did in his life that many of us are familiar with, how he sacrificed his life at, at the Al Alamo. He fought, fought to the end and uh, what a great testimony. But there's probably something else about him uh, that, uh, that, you, that you may not know, but it may be something that either you've said it in your life or someone has you've heard somebody say it, or it's been directed and said towards, towards you. In 1835, David Crockett had wrote this book, uh, kind of his some memoirs of things that he's gone through. 
And he penned these words that were in this uh, about Andrew Jackson because he had served underneath Andrew Jackson. And he had said uh, these words. I myself was one of the first to fire a gun under Andrew Jackson. I helped to give him all his glory. But I liked him well once. But when a man gets too big for his breeches, I say goodbye. You probably have heard that saying before, you've gotten too big for your breeches. Now, maybe mom and dad has said that to you when you were, when you were a, a kid and thought you were being all confident to, towards your parents or Maybe you've said that to some, somebody else, and maybe one adult said it to another adult, that you're getting uh, too big uh, for, for your britches. And it, we can thank Davy Crockett for that, because it was the first time that it was ever written down, and maybe they had used it before, but he gets the credit for it, that he'd gotten too big for, for his britches. So when somebody tells you you've gotten too big uh, for your britches, what exactly are we talking about when someone says you're too big for your britches? Well, I looked it up on the, on the internet, and it gives you all sorts of wonderful definitions. But some of the things that it says is overconfident in, one, overconfident in one's importance, skill, or authority. Behaving as if one is more important or influential than one actually is. Too proud of oneself. One who's swelled with self-importance. An exaggerated sense of their own importance. In other words, being too big for your britches carries the idea that someone is very proud of themselves, very inflated about themselves, and they, believe, and they behave and act in such a way that um, others really should recognize just how great they are. That's what, I really, what we're dealing with, getting too big for your britches. And when we were tonight, and along that thought is what we're going to be getting into when we look at the, the parable of the mustard seed that, that is here before us. Because in the parable of the mustard seed that we have, and as we'll explain and look at tonight, this little mustard seed got too big for his britches. Got way too big for his britches, and it caused, it caused some problems. It will cause, it cause some problems. And as Jesus has been telling us, these are kingdom parable mysteries. In other words, the time of his absence, where Jesus is absent physically from this earth, he will return again. But in this absence between his first and second coming, this mustard seed is going to become too big for its britches and the problems that are going to come from it. In other words, by being a kingdom parable, that this is going to be a problem within Christ's kingdom at this very time. And, you may, and we may look at this and say, well, what difference does that make? I will tell you this, the church is not the kingdom of heaven. It is not the kingdom of God. But it exists at the same time as the kingdom of God. Where is Christ doing his work? Through the church. And where is, who makes up the church? You and I individual believers. And when we understand that concept, we have to look at our own lives tonight and in our, in our own selves and even as collectively as a church itself and as individuals who make up a church, whether we have gotten too big for our own britches, that whether we become so self-important in our own lives, that we become and over, we become overinflated, maybe even about, about our, our relationship to other people, our walk with Christ. Maybe we've become a little bit too big for our britches. And I believe as we look through this that God wants us to be able to fit back into our britches tonight. That God wants us to bring us to a point, as even what was pastors brought earlier, to a place where of a humility and which is the answer to those who become too big for their britches. Now when we look at the parable of, of, the, of the mustard seed that we have um, before us, and, and the parable itself, it, it, is, it is rather simple. It's only a couple of verses long. Pretty easy for us to, to uh, look at and, and see the different parts in there. And uh, in this parable... That Jesus had said 
that it is dealing with this little grain of mustard seed. Jesus calls it the least of all seeds. Now, it, it's a proverbial way of speaking. There are other seeds that are smaller than a mustard seed, but Jesus is just trying to accentuate the point, the smallness of a, of a mustard seed, using, using some poetic language, like you may say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Well, you probably could not eat a whole horse, no matter how hungry you are. So when Jesus says that this parable of this mustard seed is the least of all seeds, it was a, it was a way of accentuating the, the smallness of it. It is something that Jesus' uh, hearers and his disciples would have understood. Because to the Jewish rabbis, even the smallest drop of blood was considered the size of a mustard seed. It was even used in reference to the last bit of sunlight that was going down, that last bit of glow was considered the, the, the smallness of a mustard seed. So what I want you to understand and, and get primarily and what Christ is driving at is when we're looking at this parable of this mustard seed, not to get caught up on saying, well, there's other seeds that are smaller than that. That's not what Christ is trying to get you to see. He wants you to understand the mustard seed is really, really small. And maybe you've seen some of those, uh, some of those little Christian trinkets, I call them, that are for sale. And they, they write little Bible verses on a little vial you can wear on your neck. That's that little mustard seed. So we want to get it in our mind, something that's small. Small in its nature. And we see this, that this small little mustard seed, that, uh, that the growth that, that takes place. You see, a, a mustard seed, it, it, it is an herb. And one thing that we know about, uh, about herbs, herbs are something that typically grow relatively quickly. Not like a, trees grow, take a lot longer. If you ever planted a tree or planted herbs in the garden, you tell me which one comes to fruition faster. Uh, I will tell you this, it is the herb in the garden. It, it, it's, it's a fast-producing plant, and it grows, uh, it grows uh, relatively quickly. And the average mustard seed, if you look it up, if you plant an average mustard seed, it only grows about three, three or four feet in height. There are places where mustard seeds can grow taller than that, but usually that is an atypical growth. That's not usually typical response. An average mustard seed is just going to be a little shrub. It's just going to be, be a, a little, little bush. It, it, there would be no way for you to mistake a mustard plant for a tree. You wouldn't just sit there and make that mistake. And so Jesus in this parable is saying, here's this little small little mustard seed and that, that, uh, that is known, that it, that is planted and it grows uh, relatively quickly. But there is a problem that exists in this parable. So the mustard seed is planted, it's growing, and what you would expect it to, to be. And you could uh, imagine in the concept that Jesus is teaching here, that all of a sudden, what should have been a bush begins to mutate into something else. As Jesus says in verse number uh, 32, that it becometh a tree. The Gospel of Luke adds a little bit more to it. It grew and waxed a great tree. I find it interesting, the Greek word for great, for a great tree, is a word that we, uh, is almost a transliteration of an English word that we use. It comes from a Greek word called megas, or we would call mega. In other words, this lonely little mustard seed plant that was supposed to be a, be a bush grows into a tree. Not just a, a little, little tree, but the Bible is letting us, Jesus saying, accentuating that this is a mega tree. In other words, now it is known for being large. It is contrary to what it was known for previously and what is known naturally. Naturally, it's known for its smallness, but now it has grown into something mega and something, something uh, very large. And so this type of growth um, that Jesus is talking about 
is very unnatural and very foreign. It goes, it goes against the very laws that God has, that God has established here. Because it goes back to Genesis there. And in Genesis, when he talked about plants uh, and, and trees, the Bible says that the herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself. In other words, a mustard seed is always going to produce another mustard seed. It's always going to produce another bush. A herb and a tree, by God's own definition, are two separate entities, and they will produce two separate things. One will never morph into another one naturally. That's not God's law. That's not what's set, set down there. And so for an herb to be a, be a tree goes very contrary to God. One commentator said this, the law of growth for a tree is different than that of an herb. Uh, a, a tree grows slowly, taking years to rear its might from, uh, for many years. An herb like mustard grows swiftly. It develops according to strong woody tissues, characteristic of a tree, and lives only long enough to produce flowers and seed. For an herb to become a tree suggests growth and development that is foreign to its nature. So it's really important that we just understand the basics and the concept of the picture that Christ, Christ is getting for us. So the result of this corrupt mustard seed, uh, we see in there that the result of it, it grew so large that the birds were taking up, uh, taking up roost within the branches of this mustard seed. Typically, a bush is not a good place for for uh, birds, and especially a large amount of birds, to find themselves nesting and roosting won't support them. But in a tree, you could put a whole lot of birds in there. And there's one thing that we know about, about birds, and, and I, I see this uh, with, my, with my mom now in, in her age. One of her uh, enjoyments now is she's got a bird feeder out in front of her house, and, and uh, she's out there feeding birds, chasing squirrels. That's where my mom is at. And... Uh, and that's fine, feeding birds, but you know what? They love seeds. Oh, yeah, they love all sorts of seeds. I mean, they'll just gobble those, they'll just gobble those things up. Do you know what a mustard seed produces? Seeds. Lots of seeds. And you know what birds like to do? Eat mustard seeds. In other words, the birds aren't, aren't something that's being a health benefit to this plant. These birds that are in, in this plant here... Uh, this, uh, these birds that are in the uh, uh, end of this plant here would do harm to it, defile it, break it. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of turkeys who roost in trees. If you have a turkey problem, uh, you will know it. It will. They will destroy trees. I mean, they roost in the trees, and they. If you had a tree you loved, you probably won't have a tree that you loved very much shortly thereafter, because those birds are just. Bad news for your tree. So let, we get the picture then tonight. This is the picture that Christ is saying. I'm going to try to illustrate to you spiritual truth Christ is saying. But I need you to understand this picture that, 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 I, that I'm looking at here. He said, I want you to understand the smallness of this little mustard seed. It grows into this giant mega tree with all these birds that are roosting in its branches. And these birds that are in their branches are up to no good. Now, we have to get this into our mind for us to understand this, this parable and what Christ is teaching here and so we can make the application. Because there's, when you study these kingdom parables, the one thing that I find that drives me bonkers, it really does drive me bonkers, is how many what I would call wrong interpretations of these parables that there really are. Because many times people look at this and say, well, isn't this a positive thing? Isn't Christ talking about the kingdom of heaven? And didn't, didn't Christ uh, start with just a handful of believers? The gospel went out and was preached. We saw in Pentecost thousands of people getting saved. And just a little while later, thousands of other people getting saved. And did we not see that the, that the church that was persecuted in Jerusalem went forth preaching the gospel and people have gotten saved and people have been getting saved since then and, and countless people have been saved? Isn't this a good thing? Isn't this picturing then the, the small beginnings of the gospel and how it grows and it blossoms into all of this? That's what, that's what you'll read a lot of. That this is a good thing. 
but is it necessarily a good thing? Somebody would say it's the global influence of the word of God, the word of the kingdom, just has global influence all around us. Some will just say that this mustard seed, isn't it a good thing? Because it's a shelter for, for all those who want to find uh, a roost in its branches. They can find safety. They can find shelter. And you'll read these things over and over again. But if that's what you read and that's what you think, that's not what Christ is teaching here at all. What we have here is something that's very negative in nature that, that Christ is having for us. You see, when we, when we look at this, we, uh, proper interpretation means you have to, have to be consistent in your interpretation. Okay, so in the kingdom parables, and part of the problem is why many miss the meaning of this is because did Jesus specifically say, this is what this parable means? He didn't say that. But that doesn't mean that we don't know what he was saying. Because Jesus had given two parables before this. The parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and tares. And he gave us specific uh, uh, detailed teaching on what the parts of those parables meant and the truth that is in there. So whatever you have in those parables, because Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, if you know these parables, you will know all things. In other words, you will be able to understand the other parables that are to follow. And so we know this. In the parable of the this, of this sower uh, and also in the parable of the wheat and tares, there's one that sows. That's Jesus Christ, the sowing of the word of God. We know that. And we know in the parable of the sower that the word of God is sown and it falls on different places. Some upon good ground, some upon stony ground, some upon thorny ground. But some come uh, fall upon way, wayside, on the wayside soil. And what happens in that parable on the wayside soil? Jesus says that when that word comes down, that, uh, that it is eaten up by the birds of the air. Jesus did not say that the birds were a good thing. As a matter of fact, he has, says in the Gospel of Mark that Satan cometh and taketh away the word of God. In other words, those birds represent the working and the influence and the power of Satan himself against the kingdom of heaven. Now, does that, does that fit in this context? Most certainly it does because it happens in the parable of sower and the wheat and tares. Because as Jesus is sowing good seed, the adversary is sowing uh, false seed, that looks, which looks to be true, to hinder and interrupt the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so we're having a continuation here that Christ in the coupling these things together, and when you, when you look at it, that uh, all these things that, that come together means that this is, the mystery is, is Satan's working during this time. Because Satan's just not taking a back seat. He is working contrary to the kingdom of, of, of heaven. And so then what is, if this is so negative, what is that Christ is trying, trying to show here? As I mentioned at the beginning, really what Christ is trying to get to is this mustard seed has just grown too big for its britches. And, it, and the problem is this. It's an, it's an unnatural growth. It went from lowliness to something, something lowliness to something proud and something mighty. See, to understand this parable further and to understand the truth that Christ was trying to say here is this. There are other places in the scriptures that use this same sermon or use this same illustration. Probably one of the greatest illustrations that we're familiar with is this. Nebuchadnezzar had a couple dreams in, in, in his life. And one of the dreams that he had one time is Mr. he became Mr. Big Shot. I'm all that. I am the king of the world. And at that time, he pretty much was the king of the world at that time. He had a vast empire and he, and he was proud of his empire there. And God had to remind him in a dream, because he, he had this dream, and here's the dream. It sounds kind of familiar. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven. The sight thereof to the end of all the earth, 
The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the bows thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. Does it sound familiar? He had a dream about a great tree and of the birds of the air that are in it. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, 12 months later, he was walking out on his balcony, and he was like a rooster strutting his stuff out there, like, look at my great kingdom. And at that night, God said, I'm going to take it away from you for seven years. And he went out as, as, as a wild beast, lived out of doors, grew claws like they were talons. I mean, this guy was a, was a beast. Now, finally, that he had the humility and that God restored him back. And you know what his testimony was this? He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, am praise and extol and honor the kingdom of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in his pride, he is able to abase. Here he had this picture of worldly dominance. He had pride. He was lifted up and he, and, and he was very haughty within himself. That same illustration is also used later on in Ezekiel. When Ezekiel is talking about Pharaoh, and he would use the, uh, the Assyrian uh, as an example. The Assyrian Empire, he said, was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadow shroud and a high structure. And the top was, was among the thick boughs. And all the fowls of heaven made their nest in their boughs and under his branches. And all the beasts of the field brought forth their young under their shadow and dwell all great nations. And so God is saying to the Egyptians, you are like this great tree with all these birds that are in it. And then God says what he's going to do to them. He says, therefore, thus saith the Lord, because thou hast lifted up thyself in height and hast shot up his top among the thick boughs and his heart is lifted up in his height. And so what it becomes clear, what Christ is talking about here is this mustard seed, this small beginning of the kingdom is going to experience this unnatural growth where it's going to take on worldly greatness. It's going to take on a greatness. A, it's going to take on a pride. It's going to be very self-absorbent uh, of itself. It's self-important. It, it's going to be this great tree for people to, to look at. It's going to be the opposite of what it should have been. A humble, a humble, lowly mustard seed now has become this proud monstrosity in existence. It's gone from the exact opposite of what, what it is meant, meant to be. And we, uh, uh, one uh, writer said um, this, as the church passed from an organism to an organization, there developed the passion for prominence, power, and position. Men actuated by worldly principles sought supremacy in the church. By that, he is trying to say that what has taken place at that small beginning has, has developed and that it went from being a small organism to be an organization where men were influenced by worldly greatness, by prominence and power and position, and, there was, and it would grow into that. You see, the greatest example really of that, and there's other examples that are out there, but really one of the catalysts that really accentuates what Christ is trying to get here, and what I want you to see here is this, is there was... It really took a great blossom. And, uh, historically, the time when the Roman government wedded itself to the church. And the Roman, the Roman uh, Caesar, uh, Constantine, he thought, I, if I can't, I'm going to want to be in power. He had this great dream and he wedded the church to the government. Welded power and prominence together. And it was really the beginning and really the the blossoming and really the the just taking off uh, taking off of this of this mustard seed, but we can we can safely say though that from this parable we are seeing that what Christ said supposed to be humble it has grown and morphed into something that it that it should not should not be in, and when we begin to look at this parable then it is something for us to to not just recognize that the church has grown into, into things during this time of the kingdom, that it is being influenced by this and, and all these mega churches and these things that we have out here, don't be seduced by those things because those things clearly aren't even natural because many of them are based upon building their own kingdom, their own prominence, and their own power. 
And I wish that the parable would just exist in that, that I could just sit there and look at this parable and say, okay, I'm going to watch out for these things because not to just look at churches and looking at Christian organizations or things that name the name of Christ and say, well, they must be Christian and they, because they say they are because Jesus is saying that there's going to be an outward corruption that they may have the name of Christ, but they may be full of evil influences, full of birds. And I wish I could stop at that. But the reality is, is this, is the same influence that grew them into a tree is the same influence that can happen in our own lives. That I can go from being just a humble little mustard seed into having a tree-like mentality. That I can go from being humble and having, having a lowliness about me, that I can become tree-like in my thinking and in my mentality. And when I look at this tonight, I believe that God exactly wants to challenge us tonight is this, is he wants us, he wants this church, he wants you to examine your own life and your own heart and say, what is my mindset like? Do I have a tree-like mindset or do I, have, do I have a lowly little mustard seed mindset? You see, this is something that we must be we must be aware of the danger of this. Because in the Gospel of Mark it says that they, they, the birds and the, uh, would dwell underneath the shadow of, of this mustard tree. And we're living underneath that shadow right now. And we, we must be careful not to be influenced by it. We have to, in our own lives, be aware of the danger of developing a proud and lofty mentality. Like a tree. You know, I, I'm really thankful we had church-wide outreach a couple of weeks ago. That, that's, that's awesome. Trying to invite people to church and trying to get people saved. Those are all, all good things. But you know what? It's, it's real easy for the mindset, and, I, and I've been there trying to pastor small work, so I get it. They sit there and go from seeing people to save to seeing how many numbers we can get in the church. Just seeing how big of a group that we can get together. Or look at the size of my church. You know what we're doing? We're developing into a tree-like mentality. Instead of we're, we're trying to promote our church, trying to promote our programs, trying to promote even maybe even a wonderful pastor like we have, instead of promoting our Savior. Because what we're doing is we're building a tree-like mentality when we start promoting, look at our kingdom, look at what our kingdom has to offer. Your kingdom down the street doesn't have that. Well, look what ours has. And your pastor, he's not like our pastor. You should come see mine. And I'm going to tell you, those are statements that I've either said myself or very similar to those things. I mean, I love my pastor, and, I, and I'm just telling you, I'm not talking down about him, but I'm, I'm telling you this, when I make my church more about my pastor than I do about my Savior, you know what I'm doing? I have a tree-like mentality because I'm defining greatness is by how, how a man behind the pulpit is or by the programs that he develops and implements. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying tonight? That we can easily, as a church, slip into this tree-like tree tree-like me mentality because I, I, I wonder would some of you would some of you go would some of you even stay and keep coming if our church dwindled down to 30 percent of what we have right now and maybe even for legitimate reasons went down to 30 percent or we lost some of our programs that we didn't if all we we didn't have any Sunday school or any junior church and your kids just had to sit here the whole time and listen to some some crazy guy get up here and preach all the time we just say, well, I'm just going to go where they have a better children's program than the one that we have here. Oh, they have that program over there. Do you know what they do for my kids over there? You know what you're doing? That's a tree-like mentality. Because you like that kingdom better than the lowly one. You see? We got to be careful of that. But that tree-like mentality can be collectively as a church... But that tree-like mentality we have to be mindful of. It can be even dangerous in, in, in our lives as, as a believer. You see, this tree growth took place after success had, had taken place. You know what happens? The tree-like mentality is easy to come into our lives when we start experiencing what I call successes in our lives. And I, hopefully when you get saved, your life starts changing. 
that your life starts changing, God's making changes, you're growing, growing in your life, you're making decisions and you're seeing growing, uh, you're seeing some changes take place. But you know what, it's easy, it's easy to start feeling good about yourself. Start feeling pretty good. I'm doing all right. And it's only a short step before you start doing what you're doing because everyone expects me to be doing that. I need to be accepted. You're doing it for reputation and what everybody else thinks. My marriage has to look a certain way. My kids have to look a certain way. I have to look a certain way. And what you're doing, that's a tree-like mentality because you're building yourself up. You're building, you're concerned, well, this is what people are going, going to think of me. What you're doing is you're building your own kingdom. That's worldly greatness. That's what the world thinks about. That's tree-like mentality. That's not mustard seed. That's not mustard seed men mentality. I mean, I'm, I've been there. I mean, I, I've had this, I've had, the Lord has had to deal with me in my whole life. There's been times where I'm like, well, they should just let me get up there and preach because I could do a whole, whole lot better job than that. And then the Lord has to remind me that he's just like, and you're a wonderful tree to say that. Because that's a tree-like mentality. To think that I'm, well, I'm better. I, I deserve to be up there. They don't deserve to be up there. That's a tree-like mentality. You see, many times we can develop that in our own lives. Well, I should be doing this. I deserve to do that. I, that person doesn't deserve to, to, to be in that. What you're saying then is that you do. And, that, and you're basically, you're building yourself up. That's tree-like mentality. It, it, really, it really is. When you fail to get the recognition that you think you deserve, and you get all mad and bent out of shape about it, you know what that is? That's tree-like mentality. Well, you should recognize me. Well, thank you for being a 400-foot-tall sequoia tree or whatever, because that's what you're trying to do, is you should recognize me. Well, you know what I do at the, at the church? Does somebody have to know what you're doing at the church? No, really. If you think somebody needs to know what you're doing at church, you have a tree-like mentality. If you think, well, they always overlook me for, every time they have something, they always overlook me. Tree-like mentality. You see, we're, this is the mindset. You're just like, well, this, I've heard the parable of the mustard seed. Yeah, it's all these corrupt churches and all this. But how do they get to being corrupt? How did it grow so much? Because they developed the wrong mindset and attitude. A church is made up of individuals, is it not? And if we start growing and we start to, we're not taking a warning from this. We can develop a tree-like mentality. It only, takes, it only takes one person to start it. It only takes a handful of people to start it. And we could easily turn ourselves into something mutated that God never intended it to be. You see, we have, to be, we have to be a warning of this because Jesus has not come, so this is still in effect. He has not come to separate the wheat and the tares, and so you're going to be challenged by this. Whether, whether you're going to, I'm going to build myself up, I'm going to be proud, i got to be recognized, i got to have the reputation, and you better be careful because that is contrary to the mindset and the thinking that Christ has for his kingdom. It's, it's dangerous there because at a minimum you could say this, when I develop the wrong mindset in my relationship to Christ and in relationship to his kingdom and how I'm supposed to be, it opens the doors for all sorts of other evil influences to invade my life and to take root and nest on the branches of my life. Is that not true? Those birds only had a spot to roost after it had, had, the mustard seed had appeared at a time of extreme growth. And once it, that took root and started growing, then the bird said, Satan's like, got it. I can work with that. And you also must understand this. You, are in, you and I are in danger because we're going to constantly fight this because we have an adversary. If you're looking at what these parables mean and what Christ is saying here is this, he is actively sowing. He is actively taking seed away. So he is actively influencing and working on your mind to look at what outward greatness looks like and what outward pomp and circumstance and what other people have to try to build you up and, and get you into a tree-like mentality away from a mustard seed type thinking. And he's going to work at that until Christ comes and deals with it. And so when I look at that, 
um, when I understand that, that I must be aware of that, we must develop then a right mustard seed type mentality, a right attitude. You see, the idea, and I was trying to emphasize here is this, the mustard seed is known for smallness, lowliness, or a good Bible word is humility. Isn't that what Pastor was preaching about two weeks ago? Dealing with another aspect of humility. But I'm not talking about like, woe is me, I'm a worthless hunk of junk type thing where you just have this deflated self-image of yourself. I'm just going to tell you this, if you're in Christ Jesus and God doesn't create junk, so the idea that you, oh, I'm just this worthless individual, that's not what God means by humility, okay? That is not, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you must be, must be worth something because Christ died for you. And he paid an exorbitant price for you. So when I'm talking about humility and lowliness of mind, I'm not talking about walking around like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders and with your lips stuck out and just crying and pouting the whole time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a humility that says, I'm, I really am a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I'm nothing, I'm nothing more than what God has made me in Christ Jesus. Now, that's, that's humility, to sit there and go, I'm not Mr. Big Shot, but I am one that Mr. Big Shot did die for, and then I'm born again by the blood of Christ, and if it wasn't for his extreme love and mercy on me, I would be lost and on my way to hell. But I'm not, I'm not good, but now I'm accepted in the beloved. You see, that's the kind of humility that, that's looking for. I find it's interesting here. The humility and the type of spirit that Christ is wanting from us here was used in another, in the Gospel of Luke. And we're not going to turn there for the sake of time. But go home tonight and read Luke chapter number 17, the first uh, 10 verses of that. Because in that chapter, Jesus is talking about, um, if you're, basically, if you've been offended, how many times do I keep forgiving? And if I've offended and I reap, uh, and, and, and Jesus uses a smaller number in the Gospel of Luke. And the, the, the disciples were like, Wow, that's pretty challenging. He said, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus said, it's not that you, and I'm going to steal from my wife today. She, she gave me some help today. It was a good thought. It wasn't that they lacked faith. It wasn't that they needed more quantity. The quality was lacking. And Jesus said, if you would just have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you could tear up a tree, you could break down mountains if you just have this little bit of faith. Because a little bit of faith can do a lot of great things, even forgive people many times. But then he follows it up with another, another parable. He does a parable of, of, the, of this servant. And he said, which one of you, uh, and just, just going through it, which one of you has a, a, there's a servant out there. He does all of his chores, he does all that, and he, and he comes in and he sits down and he says to his master, Master, I want you to make me supper. And you say, well, that doesn't work that way. The servant serves the master, and the master doesn't serve the servant, right? And so he goes on. The servant goes out there, does all his chores, and he, and he comes in, and his master doesn't even thank him for doing it. He says, okay, good job feeding the horses, scooping out the barn, and all those other things. But he says, well, I, I'm still hungry. You need to make me supper. I want something to eat. And he, and he, and he makes him supper. And Jesus makes this application, he says, that he says after he's done all those things, he's an unprofitable, unprofitable servant. By that means, it didn't mean it didn't bring any profit to his master. It's dealing with the concept of this, is that he just did what he did, and he didn't need to have any reward or any recognition for it. That's the concept and the teaching behind that. A servant serves just to serve. He doesn't need to be recognized. He doesn't need to have someone pat him on the back. He doesn't have to have someone get up and announce in, in church and read a list. Okay, all those that participated in the church planning conference and then you read everybody's name and if your name doesn't get read that you get all mad about it. The servant says, I don't need to be rewarded. I don't even need to be recognized here. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do because I want to serve my master. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. And really the idea, you say, well, a master doesn't serve the servant. But that's exactly the message that Christ sent to us. The master served the servant and gave us an, gave us an example from it. Because what reward could we give to Christ for his service? 
to us to save us. I have no reward that would be worthy enough to do what he did for me. The service that he gave to me, he just did it because he loved to. Mustard seed mentality means that I don't need recognition. I don't need to be rewarded. I don't need someone to point it out. I can be a wallflower. I can be hiding in the bowels of the church somewhere. But I'm going to be this. As long as I am serving God, as long as I get to serve my master, that's all that I need. I don't need to have a Sunday school class. I, I don't need to be the deacon. I don't need to even have a ministry. I could sit and be a faithful church member. And I'm going to tell you this. That's probably even greater than some of the other ministries that we have here. And just sit here and be a faithful church member. And I'm going to be here. I'm going to support this church any way I want. Any way I can. And however God brings it my way. But I'm just going to sit here. And I'm not going to get mad if I don't get called to be in some ministry. Or I don't get to do this. Or I don't get to do that. Mustard seed mentality says, all right, I'm all right. Okay, well, I've gone six months sitting in the, in the pew, and uh, they haven't asked me to do anything. I, I, I would say as a side note, it's probably because you never asked God if you could do something. Just a side note, that one's free. You probably didn't ask. But the reality is, even if that's the case, I'm just going to tell you from my own heart, my own, my own my, what God's been doing in my own life. When we came back here and moved here, my mentality is, I'm just going to sit here, God, till you decide you, you, I could volunteer for everything, and I could, but I didn't. I let God bring those opportunities because I wanted to know it was him, and I wanted to serve him, and I wanted it to be all about him. And I say that not to inflate myself, as merely to give you an example and illustrate. This is the kind of thinking that, that we need. I can sit and be faithful to whatever everything that I have, whether it's sitting in the pew or whatever else, but I'm going to do it because I have a mindset. I want to serve my master. That's mustard seed thinking. Instead of saying, I need to build my own kingdom, my own reputation. No, it is all about having, having this, uh, having this really a smallness, this smallness attitude. You see, I found this little, little saying and I, I thought it was good. It said, give me to serve in a humble spear. I ask no more beside. Content to fill a little place if God be glorified. Well, that's really good. Give me to serve in a humble sphere. I ask no more beside. Content to fill a little place if God be glorified. That's really where it's at. So as I was studying for this message, like really struggling and hopefully getting the message across, but God is looking for a congregation, looking for individuals to say, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm all right being a mustard seed, God. That's what I want to be. I just want to be a small little bush for you. God, I don't need to be a towering tree. I don't need to be, I don't need to be patted on the back. Sure, those things are nice, but I don't need those, God. God, I don't have to have everyone compliment me. I don't have to get bent out of shape if, if things don't go my way or I don't get that position that I deserve. But God, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. I'll just be humble. If you just want me to sing as, as all I can do in the pew and open up my Bible and respond to the preaching of your word, then God, I'll do that. I can at least do that. See, mustard seed mentality is what we need to get to. And I believe if we want to have a great church, I don't believe it's necessarily by great means that we're going to have millions of people or thousands of people in our service. But a great church will be one filled with people that have mustard seed mentality. Not this grandiose, prideful attitude that I've got to be this, 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 great, this great tree. I found this uh, little saying uh, and and, and really a prayer request from an ancient, uh, ancient group of believers called the Moravians. You might have heard of the Moravians uh, before um, in, in history, but if, even if you haven't, they said this, from, they had a prayer request, and their prayer request is this, from the unhappy desire of becoming great, 
uh, good Lord, deliver us. I love that. From the unhappy desire of becoming great, good Lord, deliver us. Maybe it's tonight, it's just that you're like, God, the axe has been laid to the root of the tree and we need to cut this thing down. God, I have bitterness in my heart right now because I didn't get what I should have gotten. I didn't get the position I deserved. They overlooked me all the time. I'm about ready to leave this place. And maybe tonight God has finally spoken to you and says, you know what? That's not right thinking. You're thinking like a tree tonight. And he said, maybe I will give you that position when you can come down here as a mustard seed. But until you do, you'll remain in that position. And maybe tonight you just need to come forward tonight and you just say, God, help me to have a heart's desire to be, be nothing more than just a little mustard seed. God, help me just to be faithful in whatever little thing you ask me to do. And even if you don't ask me to do anything, God, I'll still be faithful to you no matter what. I just want to serve you. That's my focus, not upon anything else, but just to serve you. I'm your lonely little mustard seed. Plant me where you want to. I want to be a little bush for you. And let's, tonight, if the trees are starting to grow, grow in your life, it may be time just to cut some things down. Confess it. And there is a God in heaven that will say, you know what? I can not only just cut the tree down, I can grind the stump out of the ground. And then what's left there, we can, we can put some good soil in there. And we can put some more mustard seed in there. We can start all, all over again. Because a mustard bush grows a lot faster than a tree does. And you'll be surprised at what God can do when you come forward with a humble mustard seed attitude. All right, let's go ahead and let's stand. We're going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to have a time of invitation here. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to open up the word of God tonight. And, and Lord, I do pray that we did honor to your word tonight, God, in such a way that we could understand it and make direct application to our lives. And God, my prayer for myself, for everyone in this room, and even for our church here, God, is that we would be a, a people, a congregation built upon mustard seed mentality and type thinking. Oh, God, deliver us from this idea that we need to be great. God, deliver us from this tree-like mentality, God. Please, Lord, give us a humble mustard seed mentality. God, give us smallness and lowliness of heart and mind. So, God, that we can be effective in our relationship with you. Oh, God, I just pray now you'll work in this invitation, God. And please, anyone that you're doing business with, God, please help them to have the humility to come forward and to do business with you. God, I just pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.